0: But we are worshiping God the Holy Spirit so that we might live in Him. We are to live according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. And in order to do that, we really need to know who He is and what He has accomplished for us and what He is accomplishing in us and what He intends to accomplish through us. Now today, we're going to talk about Jesus building a world movement. And I got to tell you, Jesus builds a world movement way different than people build a world world movement. That's what we're going to discover today. As a matter of fact, when people start to build a world movement, they do it on political terms. They do it as to what they have to add to the mix. And and it seems very black and white to them, you know, the simplest way to proceed and, and, and what we ought to do here and there. The whole thing just seems kind of cut and dried and black and white. And, and it, it's a little comical, actually. Way different than the way the Lord does it. As a matter of fact, somebody imagined a scene of people from different countries trying to build a church together. Watch this. Be identified by the first letter of their country, which is printed on the back of their complimentary t shirts. Please welcome from the Texas Technical Institute, Mr. Jackson. From the Canadian Conference, Mr. Bryan. From the Italian Institute, Ms. Benini. From the Spanish Symposium, Ms. Santoval. From the Russian Reconstruction Committee, Mr. Tarkov. And from France, Madame Beaujolais. Ladies and gentlemen, the discussion is now open. Let's try to find some common ground, something we can all agree on. Da. First thing we do is build wall. Now, don't start that again. I was thinking of a dome. With a sistine ceiling. I was thinking of using caulk. Can we do something with logs? I propose gargoyles. Well, I'm for anything to do with oil, garg or otherwise. I say, Mademoiselle Beaujolais. If you're representing France, why are you wearing an H? I can wear what I want. I'm French. <laughs> uh, how about the building a tower? I figured you'd be leaning that way. <laughs> leaning. Uh, tower. Leaning. Da. Is funny. Oh, I want glass windows. Da with Russian curtains. Let me write this down. Spain glass windows, Russian iron curtain. So, logs are out? Oh, Spain will purchase the carpet. Wow, I didn't expect that. Nobody expected a Spanish acquisition. I don't want carpet. I want French rugs. Oh, quit your whining, Bougelet. How about fine Italian ceramic tile? I want wood floors made out of logs. There should be some kind of altar dressed a certain way. Wait, oui, and it should be a French dressing. <gasps> no, it should be Italian dressing. Nit. It should be Russian dressing. Well, not everyone likes Russian dressing. Well, what about Canadian dressing? Canadian dressing? Like what? Log cabin. Syrup. <laughs> To Spanish time. Go on. Go on. Listen, we've got to find a common theme, something we can all agree on. Turn to the first chapter of the the book of Acts. Acts of the Holy Spirit. It says Acts of the Apostles, but it's really Acts of the Holy Spirit. And let's see how Christ builds a world movement by never concentrating on a world movement, by not concentrating on how everything will come together. First of all, he comes to this little room, scared people. And he makes a prediction. He tells them what's gonna come, so that they can take full advantage of something that's going to come immediately. But he doesn't give the long range prediction. As a matter of fact, he says this, verse four. And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the father had promised, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Now, I want you to see the same mentality in this that we just saw up there. <clears throat> Everybody thinks that when something coming, is coming from God, it ought to center around them and their group and their people. This is a normal thing, by the way. You need not be ashamed of this. All of us were wired to ask two questions. First of all, what does it mean to me? And second of all, what does it mean to my group? I want you to see two tendencies. I want you to understand that the disciples were originally looking for the restoration of the political uh, dominion of Israel. They'd been waiting for it for five centuries since David's kingdom. And so when they thought they had a Messiah, that's automatically the way they thought it would come. Um, I want you to see that they thought this was the last days. Most Christians I talk to who are, Christ- who are serious Christians think this is the last day. I mean, that's, anything that happens, oops, it's the last days. That's, a fir- that's our first conclusions. That's okay. It's okay to do that. Um, but you got to understand there's a lot of last days here. And so they think it's the last days and, and, and they think that this has to do With them. But Jesus is gently going to get them out of that. And I say gently because Jesus, I want you to understand this about Christ. He understands our foibles and He doesn't castigate us for them. He could have hopped on them and said, Oh, yeah, this is about Israel, isn't it? But He didn't. He had worked with these people for a long time, He'd seen them personally think that it was about them, personally try to get politically ahead. As a matter of fact, turn to, uh, if you have your scriptures, turn to Matthew chapter 20. Let me show you uh, just one incident of this. This is when the mother of the sons of Zebedee, you know, the the Zebedee boys, sons of thunder. Well, their mother is going to come to Jesus with a request with her boys in tow. Now, her boys are big strapping men. I mean, these are strong individuals. I can only imagine how strong this mother must have been. And it says, and then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons. How embarrassing would this be? Following your mother to Jesus. And bowing down, her sons were bowing down, making a request of him. And he said to her, Jesus is looking at the mom now. What do you want? And she said, command that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine may sit, one in your right hand and one on your left. And Jesus said, (laughs) he had, he had, you you don't know what you're asking here. He looked at the boys, he said, can you drink of the cup which I'm to drink? Which, in other words, can you go through what I'm about to go through? And they said, oh, yeah. And he looked at him and said, well, you will. But it's not mine to offer you those seats. And then he said this. After hearing this, it's verse 24. After hearing this, the 10 became indignant with the two brothers. They knew what he was, they were trying to do. See, what, what's breaking out here is a political squabble. In any religious group, the tendency is toward a political squabble because people are always interested in getting ahead. People are always interested in being advanced. Now, you, could, you would think that Jesus would look at them and say, now you, just everybody sit down and give them a big lecture. You all ought to be ashamed of yourself. I thought you were Christians. (laughs) You know, he didn't. Look at what he did. But Jesus called them to himself. This is a very important lesson for your personal life here, by the way. For people who are irritating you by acting lower than you know they really are. Your first inclination will always be to push them away. Jesus' first inclination is to bring them closer. That's always the come closer to them. And Jesus here does not say, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. He says this, essentially, you want to be great? I'll show you how. You want to be great? I'll show you how. It is so normal for individual Christians or certain groups of Christians to think that the kingdom of God, if it's ever going to come, is going to come through them. And that doesn't make Jesus mad. They're just very unaware of how much they need the other parts. They're very unaware of how their read on reality is faulty like everybody else's. I, I, I remember the, the story of somebody approaching Pablo Picasso in a railway station. You know, Picasso, many of his artworks were abstract. And this man marched right up to Picasso. I don't know where he gets to, people get this goal. Marched right up to Picasso and said, your paintings ought to be more realistic. And Picasso feigned like he didn't understand what the man was talking about. He says, you know, it ought to resemble what you're painting exactly like it is. And Picasso, again, feigned like he didn't understand. So the guy whips out his wallet, takes out a picture of his wife. And he says, you know, like this, this looks exactly like my wife. And Picasso looked at the picture and he said, my, she's rather small and flat, isn't she? People aren't aware that their take on reality is not exact. We aren't aware of our own faults. And so when the disciples came to Jesus and said, is it this is this is the time, isn't it? When you're going to bring the kingdom back to Israel. This is this is our big day, isn't it? Jesus didn't castigate him. He simply looked at him and said, you know what? Look at the next verse with me. It says, <clears throat> it's not for you to know the times Or the epochs, which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Time's here and uh, is is chronos, the chronological time. You can't know when. Kairos, epochs, means the ripeness of time or the fullness of time. You can't even know when it's ready. Now I want to say something to all of us very clearly right now. There is a reason why God doesn't tell us everything. There is there. there, Wouldn't you think, I mean, from a from a flesh standpoint, wouldn't you think that if Jesus had just given them the clear vision, how they were going to do this, that they could have been more efficient? I mean, isn't that the way these days we want to be more efficient? Some of you right now are saying to God, God, if I only knew why, if I only knew when, If I only knew what you wanted, then I'd go do it, right? And you're kind of mad at him because he's not telling you. And you think he's kind of being stinky about the thing. This isn't very efficient, God. But God's always been like that. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, for the secret things are for God. The revealed things are for us and for our children, but the secret things are for God. In other words, God reveals that which will help us and keeps secret, watch this, that which will help us. God is just as much in the not telling you business as he is in the telling you business. Why? Well, there are probably lots of reasons, but I can think of one right up front. We live in a day of visions, don't we? I mean, 20 years ago, if some religious leader would have said, I've got a vision from God, they'd have come with a little white jacket with very long arms and tied his arms up and carted him off. But today, everybody's got a vision, don't they? I mean, Leonard Sweet says you can't run for dog catcher without a vision. Got a vision. Got a vision. And that's not all bad because people want a crystal clear understanding of the way to go. Why didn't Jesus give it here? Well, I think one of the reasons is that for those that have a crystal clear vision, that's all they pay attention to. You know how we are. Give me a vision. I'll just fix on it. And I won't think about anything else. And I'll focus on that thing. And, and I'll just, I'll start making progress. And, and whatever I do, whatever else goes by the wayside. I don't think that's what God wants. G.K. Chesterton made a differentiation one time between a traveler and a tourist. He said a traveler is someone who sees whatever there is to see. And a tourist is someone who sees only what he has come to see. A traveler sees whatever there is to see. A tourist sees only what he has come to see. If God had given us exactly what was going to happen, that's all we would have looked for. But God wants something broader than that. God wants us to see Him, watch this everywhere, not just in a vision not just in a plan, not just in objectives and goals and key result areas. He wants us to see him everywhere because this isn't about a project. It's about a relationship. And so Jesus said this to them and Jesus says this to some of us. It's not for you to know. And I may never, I may tell you somewhere down the line, but I may never tell you. Why? Because it's better for you this way. Then he says this, but, but instead of giving you what you want, the knowledge that you can just click up here and feel smarter and know what you're doing. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Whoa, wait a minute. What did he just say? Oh, this is way better than knowing what you're doing. This is knowing what God's doing. You see, first of all, we need to understand that the character of the kingdom of God is not concept, it's power. That is the norm for operation in the kingdom of God. If you want a scripture for that, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. Some of you need to memorize this you think Christianity is all about an intellectual concept, and it's not. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 20 says this, for the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. 2 Timothy 1.7 said this, God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of a strong mind. You shall receive. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have that power residing in you. You can't separate Christ and the Holy Spirit. You can't say, I'm going to accept Christ, but Holy Spirit, you stay out. Now, it may not be president yet, but it is resident now. And if I could say one thing to you this morning, it would be... Understand the power you have living inside you right now. Understand that. The word here is not just authority. That's a word for power in the Bible. That's exousia. And that means, that's in, 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 in John chapter 1, it says, For to as many as believe, to them he came, gave, gave the power to become the children of God. That means the authority, the right to become the children of God. This word is the word dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite. You get the picture here? This is huge in you. This is, if if we could understand what resided in this, here's what we would understand. We cry out for the very thing we already have. And we don't know it. We don't access it. One of the greatest preachers of this century was Donald Gray Barnhouse, preacher at 10th Pres, Philadelphia, and he traveled uh, all over the country preaching. And one time he was out west, and he was he was setting up on the you know how the old old time preachers do it they kind of set up there together, kind of the thing the preacher thing, big chairs and velvet and stuff, and so. So he was the, he was he was sitting as the guest preacher next to the host preacher. And the host preacher leaned over and said, "See that woman in the first row? Well, Barnhouse couldn't miss her. Here was a woman that was just slovenly and squalid. She looked not dirty but disarrayed. Her clothes were tattered and 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 she even had a toe sticking out of a slipper with a hole in the end of it. The host preacher said, let me tell you a story about her. 20 years ago, she and her husband lived on an old farm just out of town. I mean, it was a dilapidated place. There was a, they had outdoor facilities. They had 50 yards from there was a, was a pump well where they got all their water from. They lived in an absolute shack. And during that time, somebody came through these parts testing for oil. And they found oil on that property. And they found more oil on that property. And they found more oil on that property. And in no time at all, these people were multi, multi multi-millionaires. Now, soon after that, her husband died. And so the attorneys for the estate came to her, explained to her that all of this wealth was accumulating in her name and gave her papers to sign. But here was a woman so fearful of attorneys, so fearful that the little bit she had would be taken away, she would not sign. And to this day, that woman has wealth accumulating, untold wealth, but she lives in that same shack, same outdoor facility, same well, because she's so afraid that the little bit of life that she knows might be taken away. And Barnhouse looked at that host preacher and said, I know thousands of Christians who live exactly like that. They have all of the power of the Holy Spirit residing in them and they won't access it. Do you know the fruits of the Spirit? In Galatians chapter 5, it lists them. The very same things that you pray for every day. Lord, let me love. I haven't got anything left in here to love. Let me love. Do you know that all... Of the love of the universe, and all of the power to love in the universe resides in you right now lord i 'm so sad i 'm so depressed God, I wish I just for once I could be happy. What is the fruit of the spirit joy you you have all of the joy, all of the reasons for joy residing in you right now. And some of you go from one day to the next wondering if you shouldn't kill yourself because you feel so bad. God, I'm so anxious. I'm so worried. If I could just have a little peace. You have all the peace in the universe available to you right now, right now. God, this person's driving me nuts. If you could just give me a little patience. You know what? Some, one time somebody went up to Billy Graham, said, you know, I wish I had your patience. And Billy Graham said this, I, I haven't got any more patience than anybody else. I just use mine. I just use mine. You understand? All of that resides in you right now. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then it says this, and you shall be my witnesses. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem both, I'm sorry, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the other most parts of the world. Let me, let me explain first that both and, that's, and then let's come back to that very simple concept because, because we have very simple marching orders. I hear Christians say, well, I wonder what I'm supposed to do. Today, you will not wonder that ever again because we all have marching orders in common. But I want you to understand that Christians get into this little either or paradigm because much of morality is either-or. It's not, I mean, this is right, this is wrong, and that's how it's laid out. But it's wrong to take that paradigm and apply it to paradigms of operations. Christians set up for themselves these false dichotomies, these false choices. Either we gotta do this, or we gotta do this. Either this message is for Jerusalem, Or it's for Samaria, our sworn enemies. Or it's for the other most parts of the world who don't even even understand it. It's either us or them. And Christ said, no, it's both. Most successful operations in this world are both and operations. They don't shield out that which which doesn't look automatic. Jesus said, you've got to think in terms of both and. When it comes to operations in terms of morality, but when it comes up, is this message for Jerusalem? Or is it for Judea? Yeah. Is it for us or is it for them? Yeah. Is it for here or is it for there? Yeah. You understand? That's how we live our lives as individuals and as a church. We include people. That's that's the modus operandi. Include them in what? Jesus says, Here's here's our marching orders. you got to get this. It's so simple. It's so simple we can miss it. And that's the problem because we get bogged down with everything else. Recently there's a book come out by Sobel called When Giants Fall. And it's about all of the huge corporations recently that have gone defunct because they got so huge and so complex and so complicated they missed the main point. The same thing happens with churches. The same thing happens with individual lives. This is the main point. You shall be my witnesses. Now, this is not complicated. In Greek, this means you shall be my witnesses. It means exact this is not, there's not some hidden meaning here. What is a witness? Very simple. A witness is someone who sees something and tells somebody else. That's as complicated as it gets. Someone who sees something and tells somebody else. What are we to see? You shall be my witnesses. Jesus. You see, with all of that power that is given you, with all of that power that resides in us, is the power to see Christ everywhere. And that's what we're to do. We look for him. There is nothing this world needs more than someone who looks at a situation and says, I see Jesus. And I tell you where. I see the Lord. I know what. I know he's in this. I see that's what we offer. That's our job. Now, God may put you in different relationships to say that. And and, and all of us are wired for different relationships. Some of us are wired for relationships with people who are just like us. And that's not bad. That's our Jerusalem. We're comfortable here. We like these people. That's okay. Nobody goes, nobody's gonna rip you from those relationships. Jesus says, yeah, Jeru- yeah, Jerusalem. Both Jerusalem, though, and Judea, some of you, and, and for you, J- Jerusalem is mostly your church groups, where you all see Jesus. I mean, that's, that's the center, that's the kind of the spiritual center. Some of you are put in relationships that are, that, that are one concentric circle removed, Judea. Those are friendships outside the church and maybe, maybe even outside uh, 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 evangelical Christianity. These are, these are people that you meet in, in, uh, in little leagues and, and school functions and, and, and clubs around town, civic organizations, and, and you love to hang around people like that. And God has given you wonderful relationships, good for you, cool. Some of you have Samaritan relationships. <laughs> uh, there are certain people, you may be one of them, who just seems to draw people that irritate them. <laughs> Did you ever notice that? I mean, you walk around saying, what have I got? Have I got an invisible target on me that irritating people just come around to me all the time? I mean, that's, that's Jews and Samaritans were sworn enemies. And, and Jesus included them in this whole deal. And so you think, man, I just got people that just irritate me all the time. And it's not me, it's them. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but that's just who God has you with. Just irritating people. And some of you are going to have relationships with people you don't know yet. But they're from all across. They're from all over the world. Just the uttermost parts of the world. With all of those people, here's your job. See Jesus. Tell him. That's it. Very simple. Look for Jesus. Tell him. All of our lives are not revolutionary. Most of our lives are very normal. But it's that little bit of life that makes all the difference. That little bit that we can add that makes all the difference. That spiritual sight When Willard Butch took over as the president of Chase Manhattan Bank, Marion Folsom, who was a friend of his and a top executive at Eastman Kodak, came to him to counsel him on his new role. And he said, Bill, this is what you're going to find. 95% of what you do as the chairman of Chase Manhattan Bank could probably be done by a fairly intelligent high school sophomore. But you get paid for that other 5%. 95% of our lives could be done by anybody. That does not mean it's unimportant. As a matter of fact, that's where we build up credibility to be heard for the other 5%. But that other 5% is everything that the world needs. See Jesus. Tell somebody. And one more thing. Look at the rest of this. It says, and after... He had said these things, he was lifted up, and while they were looking on, a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way you have watched him go into heaven. Now, just let me say this now, sit down. Everybody's afraid they're going to miss Jesus if he comes back again. No, you really won't. <laughs> Nobody's going to miss this, really. It's going it's to be okay. Don't be afraid. But here's the other thing. We don't just stand when we see Jesus looking up into the sky. It took angels to come and say, what are you doing? What are you doing just standing here? You got to go do what you were commissioned to do. Our job isn't to all assemble and look up into the sky. Matter of fact, the angels would say, what are you doing just doing that? Let me ask the worship team to come back out and give us our marching orders. There's a song, I love this song, and it talks about just keep walking on. Just keep walking on. God has given us this power, and the way we exercise this power is just to go through life Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. Don't go through life just watching your own feet spiritually. Anybody who ever tried to walk a straight line by watching their feet knows how impossible that is. It'll curve all over the place. The way you walk a straight line is you pick out a target and you write you walk right toward him, And our target, our eyes are fixed on Jesus. Keep walking on.